Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Luke's Massive Storytelling Podcast Thing 2021. Baby. Oh yeah. Welcome to Luke's Massive Storytelling Podcast thing. My name is Luke and this is my thing. I'm back in the garage again, or as I like to call it, the art hole. It's been a very warm week. We've been hitting 30 degrees um, Celsius uh, on some days. And if you didn't know, in England, we don't tend to have AC units. So I've just been spending lots of days in the fridge, eating way too many ice lollies. Uh, I think now I'm more ice lolly than man. Um, and that's how I prefer it. Uh, today we're going to be talking to comics writer and games writer uh, Dave Cook, and we have a real fun chat about about comics writing and games writing. Weirdly enough, and also you know we talk a bit about social media, uh, about getting into writing, how to land a games writing job. Interesting that um, quite pertinent given last week's episode when I spoke about how I didn't land a, a games writing job. I have to say, I was a little bit worried about publishing that episode. When I recorded it, I was a little bit tipsy. And when I edited, edited it, I um, I was a little bit tipsy. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I was sober. Uh, but it felt a little, a little bit personal. Um, I published it and there's a bit of, there's a little part of me that was feeling a little bit like... Um, Um, it felt a little bit like going for a walk with me tackle poking out, <laughs> which is never a good thing. Uh, but you know, I published that anyway. I thought let's let's just get out there the episode, not the tackle. Um, and the the feedback is has been uh, surprising. I'll be honest. Um, I've had actually quite a lot of people get in touch. I don't know, to, to offer condolences, I guess, to check in, make sure it's okay. Um, and yeah, I'm, fi- I'm completely fine. Um, this past week, I've been, yeah, I mean, I've been I've been working hard. What's that a Churchill quote? It's something along the lines of um, success is is moving from one fail, failure to the next of great enthusiasm. Something like that. Uh, I, I think... <laughs> it's just the way you've got to go. It's the only way to survive in, in in this writing world is just to there's no there's just no point in stopping and worrying about it all. We're just getting to work on the next thing, getting excited about the next project or the current project that you're working on. So I've been working on my novel. Um it's a post apocalyptic beatnik bizarro <laughs> novel. Um it's it's quite fun. I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying working on something um larger, like a really big project that I can go deep on. Uh, sometimes 
when you are doing lots of little jobs, lots of little writing bits and pieces, you can feel a little bit like you're doing a lot and you don't feel like you're getting anywhere. But when you're working on a, on a big, deep project, you can kind of sink yourself into it and just lose yourself in that world with those, live with those characters for a bit. And you, you know what you've got to do. Every single day you wake up and you work on the novel. And you, you think about it throughout the day and then the next morning you get up and you work on it some more. You don't constantly have to think, what, am, what do I need to do next? What do I need to um, tick off next on the to-do list? It's that easy. You get up and you work on the book. I've also on the side here been, work, been hunting for a, a, a lovely comic book artist to help put together a six-page comic book strip, um, which I'm hoping to get ready... Uh, the plan is to make a six-page little story, make it as good as I can get it, print off maybe a hundred, and then when I go to the Fort Bubble comic book convention later in the year, just hand them out, hand them out like candy. Get some, get some, get some good eyeballs on them, on the comic. I don't know if anything will come of that, but it seems like a fun, a fun way to spend a bit of pocket money. Uh, yeah, okay, so also I'm thinking about what the next seven-day story challenge is going to be. I like the idea of doing another game jam. Maybe I'd like to um, make a, a text adventure game. That'd be fun. Um, and it's something that's kind of been... It'd be good for the uh, portfolio as well, the, the games writing portfolio. And also it's just something I've been mulling over for the past... The last game I made was October last year. Whoa, Jesus Christ. Where's the, where's the time gone? Um, yeah, so I'd like to do another little seven-day game jam. That'd be fun. Anyway, so we have a few letters from the massive. Here we go. Uh, the first letter is from Carolyn O'Brien. This is in response to... Um, she submitted a few stories through the Other Stories podcast. Um, and I think it was like a ninth attempt that finally got uh, published on the podcast. I wanted to get her thoughts on keeping on going and that kind of thing when you get rejected. Karen said, I always wanted to be known as an author, but never. But I was never interested in spending too much time on any one single story. So I started writing children's stories and sending them to publishers. Um, all I got were rejections. I thought I was giving the publishers what they were asking for, and I was getting very frustrated. I love horror, and I started listening to the other stories. Um, and on another podcast, a great writer share podcast with Daniel Wilcox, Daniel Wilcox convinced me to write the genre I read, and I only needed a two thousand word story for TOS. I wrote my first horror and was rejected. I was writing for a particular theme and understood it was competition for the top four or five stories, so I tried again and was rejected again. Then I learned that a fellow Facebook member started a podcast. He read one of my dark fantasies, and my family gave me good reviews. Every story I write gets better, in my opinion, and I believe writing is one art that benefits from stubbornness and determination. Um, and as for advice, it's all a competition. Do you want to be a quitter? Yes, that's very true. I like that, Carolyn. That's um, it's all about gamifying it, I guess. Not taking it all so personal and treating it like um, like you're playing a level of Sonic. You know, you die a few times, hit some spikes, you replay, keep going until you make it to the end of the level. To Emerald Hill. Corey O'Connor got in touch to say, Hi Luke, listening to LMSPT right now. Firstly, you are a writer, whether it's full-time or part-time. Secondly, I get the anxiety bit. I experience it increasingly 
uh, more increasingly than I used to. You are extremely creative and imaginative. The anxious moments will be destroyed by your talents. It's in your DNA. Thanks very much, Corey. Go follow Corey on Twitter at, at CoreyTalksPod. Uh, F.C. Schultz, who's a lovely writer and poet and a good friend I've known for quite a while now. Hey, man, I just listened to today's episode. Bummed for you. I'll drink a root beer today to grieve in solidarity. As always, I admire your candor. That's candor spelled with a C. And vulnerability. That's hard to say. Uh, you're helping authors in more ways than you know. Really looking forward to the run fantastic though and seeing what else you make. Appreciate you, man. Thanks, FC. I appreciate you too. Uh, Sarah, I won't say her surname because she hasn't given me permission and I don't want to assume. Hey, hey, I listened to your I didn't get the job episode this morning. I'm not going to lie, I teared up a bit, half because of Tilly and half because I can empathise with you. Anyway, thank you for sharing it and for sharing all your talent and skill with the world. You never know a story like that can reach uh, over oceans and have a positive effect on others. That's true, which is one reason why I think everyone should have some kind of podcast because there is a global reach with a podcast and you can talk about how your dog got hit by a car and how um, you're using that as a, as a positive life lesson. You never know who's going to be affected by that. Uh, and lastly, Rob Finch on Twitter just said, well, fuck. And that was in response to the uh, last week's episode. Like I said, a surprising amount of people reaching out. So thanks to everybody in the massive. I feel like I'm turning to, turning you listeners into some kind of emotional support group. And I'm not sorry about it. You know, you thought you'd just listen to a podcast. Well, think again. You're now my counsellor, in a way. <laughs> Okie doke. Moving on to the interview. Dave Cook. Based in Edinburgh, Scotland, Dave is an award-winning writer who has worked with content in a wide range of roles. There's comic book writing. Dave is the creator and author of Killtopia, a five-part cyberpunk series published by Glasgow-based publisher BHP Comics. The series won a Creative Edinburgh Award, three Scottish Independent Comic Book Awards, and an Edinburgh Comic on Yancey Street Award. To date, the series has raised over 60,000 quid in Kickstarter funding. 60,000 big ones, or 60,000 little ones? Uh, Don't do the math. In 2021, the series was announced for an eight-part animated adaptation developed by Los Angeles studio Voltarku, written by Philip Gillat from Love, Death and Robots, and directed by Rari Robinson from Europa Report. Then there's video game writing. In 2020, Dave worked with independent game company Alien Pixel Studios to write the script for their Metroidvania platform game Unbound Worlds Apart. The game will release in 2021 for Steam and Nintendo Switch. And then there's book writing. In 2021, Dave will release his first video game book from a currently unannounced publisher. It's a 450-plus page journey through the history of side-scrolling beat-em-up games, beginning in 1984 with Kung Fu Master and following the evolution of the genre right up to Streets of Rage 4 in 2020. And lastly, video game journalism. Dave has worked as a video game journalist in both an in-house and freelance capacity, having written bylines for Games TM, Retro Gamer, 
Play, X360, Vice, Nintendo Life and BuzzFeed UK. He was also the Deputy UK Editor at Eurogamer Network's news site VG247 and a Saturday gaming columnist for the Scotsman National Newspaper which scooped him free game media awards. Okay, let's do an interview. So, I mean, I, I, no, I normally do like the big introduction before it cuts to the interview, if that makes sense. So we don't need to, uh, you don't need to sit there while I go through your giant accolades and, and uh, <laughs> all the stuff that you've done. You've done a lot though. You've done so much though. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Um, I don't know how I find the time for all of it, honestly. <laughs> yeah. How long have you been writing for? Um, just in general, probably. I mean, yeah. uh, oh God, since, um, probably since college actually. So. Yeah. I was quite big into English in high school and then I knew I wanted to be a games journalist really early on. So yeah. that's kind of path I kind of took. But I actually my first writing gig was for a for a punk music zine down in okay. England called Black Velvet. Um I don't know if it exists anymore, but it was cool. They basically send me like a jiffy bag, you know, like one of those bubble wrap bags, uh full yeah. of like demo CDs and EPs and albums, just random stuff just to review. Um, it didn't pay anything, but, you know, it was great to, you know, just start writing and make the reviews kind of creative and stuff like that. And um, So your name in print is always oh, fun that yeah. first time. Yeah. yeah, it was wild. I still have the, the the old copies. I mean, I think they must have been from about 2002, something like that. Um, so, yeah, just and then, you know, I knew I wanted to be a games journalist, so I started to use that kind of. Um, you know, that kind of experience to start doing freelance gigs and pitching every editor in Scotland and annoying them until one of them cracked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but actually, my first uh, game writing paid gig was a little column in the national newspaper, The Scotsman. Yeah. Um, which was great because, I mean, if you get a byline, you know, in a paper like that, it's it's quite good for opening doors. And yeah, eventually me and my wife moved down to uh, England. So I got a job in-house at Imagine Publishing, who are down in Bournemouth. Um, okay, yeah. Lived there for a I few love, years. And then, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's great, right? It's uh, nice nice beaches and um, all that kind of stuff. But did that for a few years and then thought, hey, I want to write something that's not journalism, something that lasts a bit longer. Yeah. Um, so I was like, hey, I'm going to write a novel you know, no experience whatsoever, right? Just, I'm going to do yeah. it. You know, I'm going to write a great novel and that'll be that. And it was awful. <laughs> it was, <laughs> what was it about? Or what was it called? Do you remember? It was called Seventh Circle. Okay. And it's cool. about the seventh circle of hell. So that in, in uh, you know, the inferno, that, that the seventh circle of hell is, is reserved for people who commit suicide. Uh, um, okay, yeah. And it's, it's the, it stars three people who take their own life at New Year's. Um, but then they emerge in the seventh circle of hell, kind of reborn, um, given a second chance to redeem themselves because they've all done bad things in their past. Um, but it, it wasn't very good. <laughs> um, I still have it on a G drive somewhere, but um, I, I, I sort of realized that I wasn't quite there yet. You know, like the mm-hmm. descriptive writing was really bad. So it was like, you know, describing people and, and how they look and places and how they feel. It was just really wooden yeah um so in that logic i'm like hey my next thing i'm gonna write i'm just gonna make someone draw it and i'm gonna make it a comic (laughs) so i don't need to explain anything (laughs) um you can just see it all there but um 
one of my regular readers of the the video game journalism, uh, my friend Chris, he's an artist, and he I was just like on our website's forums, like, hey, um, do I know any writer? You know, are there any writers that read the website? Sorry, I artists rather, yeah, read the website, and he was like, yeah, I'll do it, and that's how my first series bust was born. Wow. Um, yeah. Mad Max. How long ago was that? Oh god, that was- oh geez, that would have been. Oh, 2000, probably 2013 is when we started it. Um, yeah. It was very slow. Um, sort of, you know, coming up with the idea and the arc and everything. And Comics do seem to take, well, from I don't have as much experience as you, but they do seem to take a lot longer than, say, prose or podcasts or, or any other medium I've worked in. Um, yeah. There's a lot of work that goes into, in terms of, there's a lot of work that goes into making the page and so little time <laughs> spent reading it like people's eyes fly across the pages so quick oh yeah i mean oh totally there must be so many pages out there that, that i've written and, and the guys i've worked with have, have drawn that um you know splash pages and the like where people yeah. have just gone okay cool there's like one line of dialogue <laughs> on that page i'm just gonna skip it um and, th- and that's the thing i think that's why it takes so long is that the writer it, de- it all depends on the kind of series you're looking to do right if it's like a one shot um you know, it's kind of more self-contained, but with something like, you know, our series Killtopia, it's a five-part series where every book is over 40 pages. And well, actually, mm-hmm. most of them are over 50 pages, uh, except from the first one. It's quite a, a multifaceted story where there's a lot of characters and wor- wor- uh, world uh, lore and, and, and world building and things like mm-hmm. that, where, you know, every little every little thing that happens has to be somewhat in service to the plot moving on. Um, of course you can have like side scenes where there's things like character development and stuff, but largely you're trying to push that story to its conclusion and it's almost like a patchwork, you know, all these different plot threads and I'm trying to make them all fit, I think is a big part of the, the reason why it can take so long. It's like Lego, you know, I'm a a reader of Killtopia and I will say that not only, I I feel like it's, it's extremely layered or what's the word I'm looking for. Um, there's so much in each panel in like the world, um, just in like each little corner, like where's Wally book, you can be constantly looking and you're finding loads of little extra bits of detail, brand names, little jokes and that kind of thing. It's uh, yeah. it's really well done. Yeah. Thank you. No, it's, it's, it's things like that. And, and <clears throat> I think, I think it comes from my background, you know, again, games journalism, you know, I, I, at the time when I started doing my very first comic bust, it was like, I didn't read comics. I mean, uh, being completely honest, I, I I wasn't, it's not that I wasn't interested in them. I just, games were my thing. You know, they took up so much of my time, you know, playing them for work and for pleasure, you know, of course. Um, so I, I didn't really read that many comics to start with. I, I do now. Um, but um, like, I just I didn't have too much experience to kind of lean on. So I think a lot of this stuff just kind of came yeah, it just sort of came kind of naturally. And I started to think more about the games that I enjoyed and the worlds that were in, in those games. Like um, the big ones are things like, you know, Rapture from Bioshock or yeah. City 17 from Half-Life 2. These places, they don't have too much exposition. Uh, certainly not at the outset. You know, you're kind of thrust into this world and you're told very little about it to begin with. And, yeah. and you get this kind of sense of awe about them and you want to learn more about them. And But they feel tangible from the start. and if a world is going to be in peril, you need to care enough about it 
you know, you want, you need to want the heroes to save the world. The world itself needs to feel like a character that's worth saving, you know? Yeah. Um, much like when a, you know, a cast member is in peril, like it looks like they might die. A cast member that you really like, you, you don't want them to die. You want to see them pull through. Right. So, um, that, that's, I think what led to us doing that in Killtopia was just, let's make this place feel lived in and real and memorable and, yeah, and I suppose like all the references, all the references and things like that, you know, could, um, you know, we're thinking about, you know, I'm now thinking about spinoffs and a sequel potentially to the first arc and what other stories can be told in that world, you know? Um, yeah. That's quite exciting, but also where that where do I start? <laughs> I don't know. I've set so much <laughs> stuff up, you know? <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess we won't we won't go into too much detail here, um, and also it might be a bit of a rabbit hole. But the the series has been picked up for a Netflix adaptation. Is that is that right? Is there anything you could talk about on that? Yeah, so um, it's not specifically Netflix. Um, oh, sorry, big pardon. No, no, not at all, not at all. Um, so um, the show's effectively been optioned, which means um, the studio the studio that bought the rights, uh, Voltaku, um, hmm. they have the option to make a pilot and and sell that to someone like Netflix. Um, so we haven't quite sold it into a network just yet, but that that's the stage that comes next. Um, and I, I've only just learned all this as well, you know, in the last like, so, so we officially got signed uh, December of 2019. Yeah. Um, so it takes, you know, I, I've got a new appreciation for how long things like agents and, you know, legalities and contracts and percentages and all that wheeling and dealing takes so long. Um, but yeah, so, so now, now they're sort of working on, you know, initial footage and so, you know, to try and pitch it into a network, like, yeah, like a Netflix or like an Amazon stuff like that. But yeah, it's going to be, um, I believe it's eight episodes, um, that, that they're looking to, to sell, um, written by, um, uh, the writer from Love, Death and Robots. Okay. That's the connection. I think that was putting me to uh, put Netflix in my mind. Love, Death and Robots is so good. It's one of my favorite TV programs, I think currently running yeah it's, it's so cool like, it's got that neat like anthology vibe doesn't it yeah exactly yeah how exciting is that though i mean yeah, are, it's you, crazy. Are, you, are you do you believe it <laughs> is there a part of you that goes this isn't real is it this is um, amazing yeah i quite often feel i i think the most bizarre thing will be like seeing the first test footage um yeah i don't think the test footage unfortunately gets shown publicly i, I don't think it's kind of just to pitch to networks but I, i'll get to see it and that's going to be just so strange. The, the weirdest yeah. thing as well, though, is having someone else write their version of my story, which um, I'm actually, you know, I, I, a lot of people don't like things like remakes or reboots and stuff like that, but I'm always quite interested to see how someone else puts a spin on it, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. For better or worse, you know? I think there's more bad remakes than, than good ones out there, but um, a good example would be something like uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. You yeah. know, that was a remake and took um the original and, and sort of did loads of cool stuff with it and um so i think that'll be the same thing with the show you know just how how's it gonna look um it's also like it's it's fully animated in um unreal engine 4 as well yeah which is quite neat. so yeah i'm quite i'm quite keen to see how that's gonna look you know um because they're gonna try and capture the the neon colors and the sort of style of the the book and I mean, yeah, the, the I source, the source material is uh, is fantastic. So they've got a lot to work with. Um, oh, cheers! Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
so and as to like what stories they're going to tell from that world um you i mean you can probably work out there's like a base storyline you know base characters and stuff but yeah um yeah i don't know i guess we'll we'll see when we see but it's um I, i'm still refreshing my inbox every day looking for updates and <laughs> trying not to get too obsessed uh yeah. back from them but yeah it's, it's in the works now so i guess we'll see <laughs> well i mean so you've got that you refresh your emails on that uh but also if i'm correct uh that 2d puzzle platformer unbound worlds apart i think it goes live on steam in is it this week is it next week it is on the 28th okay how does that feel that's your first game right that's coming out yeah, so um, that was an interesting one because um, um, I, my friend Tom, uh, he wrote a game called Cloudpunk, um, yeah. which is quite big at the moment. But So he actually got offered the gig first, but bless him, man. Like he he um, re- had recommended me for it instead because he, he admittedly couldn't do it because he was too busy. Um, so I, I know another writer who might want to give it a shot and because um, the, the game was kick-started, so there was kind of like base ideas in their characters and worlds. Yeah, and it was interesting because my job was to write a script around all that and make sense of everything they'd done. We're like, we've made this world and these mechanics, and it's got a look and feel, but we don't know what the story is yet. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> um, so I had yeah. to sort of work with them quite closely, kind of retroactively, thinking, okay, so you've got it. so basically the short short story is it's a world where um, the main character can harness the power of portals. So um, you can open up a portal that opens up in the background and it might invert gravity or make you extra strong or just have all these different effects. And using these effects, you get past all these puzzles. So we had to give reason for like, okay, why can the character do this, do the, uh, do these portals and where, what are the world's like on the other side of these portals and why is this all happening? And I was like, so I, I had to basically come up with ideas for all that kind of stuff. Um, which is kind of an unusual way of doing it because usually a writer would maybe start at the start and come up with the you know the base concepts first with the team and um, it sounds like the exact opposite of your experience of Killtopia where you were kind of setting up their foundations here you're not only are the foundations laid but that a lot of the decoration is done too and you're trying to have to sort of work out the story from there yeah yeah exactly that and and it was interesting because like i would come up with some ideas and they would give me feedback and uh you know very polite feedback you know they're, they're all great great folk um like uh you know this isn't quite what we had in mind for this bit you know maybe we want to try this <clears throat> and it was just like you know working with artists and colorists and, and letterists uh for um comics you know it's just yeah. communication you know getting together over calls like this you know and just you know, thrashing out ideas and just spending like an hour on something that's really not working until we we hit it, you know, and we we get the solution. Um, oh, it was a great experience. I mean, I, and again, like the like the TV show, I've got a new appreciation for how how grueling it can be to make indie games. Um, certainly, yeah. if you're, you know, that's a team of about six people, three three full time people and contractors like me on the side. Um, and it's all hand drawn, and it's a phenomenal, a phenomenal achievement. Um, so, yeah, I hope, hope, it, hope it does well for them. Um, yeah. yeah, they deserve it. <laughs> and this is, um, I'm going to guess, you could have gone limb here. It's writing for games is something you've always wanted to do. Would that, would that be correct? <laughs> yeah, totally, oh, totally, man. Like, I, yeah. so I have this like uh, anecdote that I tell people sometimes. Where I used to, when I was in primary school, I used to steal graph paper. You know, like with the grid on it. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and I used to make Mario levels, you, you know, using the grid <laughs> to draw blocks. And but I would write my own like stories about oh Mario's like saving Peach from Bowser and whatever. And yeah, yeah. And then I I remember writing in primary school like, an idea for a American football game, a bit like Blood Bowl, yeah. um, but in space. So it was all aliens and <laughs> um, because I, I meant that was back when the NFL used to be on Channel Four, if you can believe it, on a Sunday, you know. Um, was that before yeah. or after WWF Heat? That was before, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it was way back in the day. <laughs> right, was yeah. the, that would have been in the eighties. That yeah, right, I used. Yeah. To, I got into it as a kid, you know. So I thought I made, made a little script for a game, and I drew characters and wrote, wrote about the moves and stuff in pencil. And that's yeah, it's mad. It's mad. Like and, and here we are. You know, it's it, it's crazy how how life uh, works out sometimes. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I have to ask a super selfish question. Um, uh, so what advice would you give to someone, I don't know, say a bold 33 year old man called Luke who wanted <laughs> to land a, a game writing gig? It's, um, I think so. A, a lot of it is actually word of mouth, you know? Um, yeah. so, and I, I guess it's just putting yourself out there. So I think it's like, kind of like any kind of self-promotion, you know, you have to, I, I would say, so there's a few things, right? Get your uh-huh. get your social, you know, get that kind of regularly, you know, putting stuff out there saying, hey, here's some writing I've done. I'm available, you know. Um, You're already good at that, by the way. I was going to... Oh, thank you. <laughs> you are. You've got excellent Twitter game. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I sometimes do wonder if I'm annoying people, though, but it's it's the hustle, uh, right? You have to... Exactly, yeah. Within, within reason, you know, you have to, you have to push it. But... Um, so the other part is having a portfolio site. That that's how I got my next two game writing gigs. So I've got two on the go at the moment. Um, uh, one of them is really early in development, so I can't really talk about it. But um, the other one I've been talking about is Loot River. Yeah. Um, and that that gig came to me just through my website. I set up a little portfolio site which had like, you know, samples of all my comics and a page for commissions, and just said, "Hey, I'm av- I'm available for these things. Here's an email form. Send me an email and." Um, yeah, just that, that's how it came about really. Um, I would also say there's a few, um, (laughs) there's a few like job board type, uh, Twitter feeds for game writing jobs. Um, there's one called work with indies, which I'd recommend everyone follow. Um, cause they, they have a website, but they also tweet out opportunities when they hear like, Hey, this studio is looking to hire someone or, um, I'd say as well, it's probably a good idea to look looks smaller you know um so don't because a lot it's a bit like bar work like remember like back in the day it's like you know your first job is i want to get a job at a pub but they're like you need experience and every pub told you you needed experience and you're like where do i get the experience if i can't get a job at the pub yeah um same thing with games because it's like a lot of um studios want you to have so many credits like your name has to be in so many credits on so many games yeah everyone says Um, you need to ship to a game you think, how do you do that unless you make it yourself from scratch? Yeah, and that, and that's it. It's to start smaller. It's to work. You know, look look to the indie crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, even just look at what's coming through on Kickstarter. Um, I'd say without being annoying to the developers, just drop them an email. Say, hey, you know, I saw your your games on Kickstarter. Um, just wondering if you have a writer in place. You know, if not, cool. But here's my portfolio. I've not done that yet because I'm I'm kind of fully booked. But I think once I get more time on my plate, I think I'll um maybe try that and see what happens but yeah yeah all the list all the listeners to this uh podcast are thinking why did i luke 
goes straight. I went straight in for the AAA <laughs> writing <laughs> gigs, which is just is never going to happen. I don't think without that, um, without going those smaller steps first. But yeah, so work with indies, you said. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's really good. Um, and yeah, their website's updated quite a lot. And it's 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 jobs of that kind of tier where yeah. you don't need like a million credits on your CV. Um, and, and also because a lot of them are, are, you know, indies, they don't have studios. So they're pretty much always remote work as well. Because um, they're yeah. just people doing yeah. it in their bedrooms, right? So um, really flexible. Yeah, I, I recommend that for sure. Cool. Okay. So, I mean, I've got um, what I'm what I call the big hard one, which is like a very penetrating question that I like to ask everyone. Uh, but I mean, just before that, I did want to touch on your Twitter game. Um, it, I mean, it, you have like a really engaged uh, uh, like follower followership, whatever you call that. Um, do you enjoy using Twitter? Is it something you actively get a lot out of? Do you find it sucks your time when you when you should be writing, doing other things? And also, are you on TikTok? <laughs> uh no i'm not on tiktok um i i haven't actually i'm not just saying this to sound like um a uh, contrarian but i haven't actually thought about using it because in terms of like video content i'm not quite sure what i would do uh you mm. know maybe um although I, what i am quite interested in is maybe getting into twitch at some point and doing streaming of beat-em-up games perhaps just for fun yeah. not not to try and make a thing of it but you know, I just think it'd be quite a good laugh, you know? Um, but yeah, to answer your question, Twitter's kind of a love hate thing, right? It's, um, it breeds good behavior and it breeds bad behavior. I think, you know, for, for, for a user, you know, someone who's trying to use it to get, you know, to, uh, what's the word, promote themselves. Right. On one hand, it's good. You know, you can get a reach out to people that, you know, where else are you going to find folk, you know, like, like, like on this kind of scale, it really is a good place, you know, if you're, if you're engaged with it and you're putting out good stuff, it is good to grow a fan base, you know, on there. On the same time, you know, I, I've caught myself, and I think we've all done it, you put out a post and it gets loads of likes, next again day you put out another one um, with perhaps like an amazing page of a comic that you, you spent so much time working on and it gets like no engagement. And yeah. then you're just like, oh, what, what have I done wrong? <laughs> you know, did I, did I say something or like, what, what is it? But then you just have to remember um, different posts, different day, different time of day. It might be, yeah. you know, perhaps like the next Marvel movie just got announced or something and everyone's paying attention to that instead. And that's clogging up the feed and your post about your comic just doesn't matter as much that day, right? It's mm -hmm. win some, lose some, I think is the best way to think about that. Do you ever um, delete any tweets? You go, oops, that was a bit embarrassing now think about it. <laughs> Not not embarrassing, just if I put it out and then it's getting like nothing, you know, yeah. within like the first like 20 minutes. And I know it's like, we just announced like a new page or a new series. Then I know something's wrong. Like it's just not the right time. Yeah. Because yeah. you think about it, if someone follows like 2000 people, how quick their timeline must be whizzing by. It's, and you, your tweet is basically a drop in the ocean, right? So mm -hmm. um, my, my advice is to, uh, in the UK, certainly, you know, time zones, um, in the UK, I tend to post out my big stuff either half 12 because most people are probably going to be on their lunch break um, or half past six because they'll have come home, you know, from work, even though we're working remotely, right? But in the old world, they'll have come home by this point, had their dinner, sat down, um, probably got their phone out. You know, that that seems to be the sweet spot for me is half six. six. Um, but if I do something in between those times and it doesn't work, I'll just delete it and post it again later. 
because I don't want to double post. I don't want to annoy people. So I just take it away, try again later. Um, yeah. But the beauty of it, you, you can totally do that, right? There's no hard feelings. You don't need to feel bad about it if something doesn't work, um, which is yeah. easier said than done, though, because it's so easy on Twitter to compare yourself to other people. Mm-hmm. Certainly if you've got a big stretch between big announcements or putting pages out or you know, if if, if your, la- your your next page or your next comic has been delayed, you've got nothing to show that week and people are posting out about their great news. And it's not even a jealousy thing, I think, for most people who feel that way. I think it's just, God, I really should be keeping up the pace. You know, everyone seems to be doing really great. And it's just those mind games you play with yourself. Yeah. Sometimes I just think, um, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to take a week off. And, I, and then I'm always worried when I'm taking that week off. Oh, God, people are forgetting about me. I'm fading, <laughs> I'm fading from their memory, and then when I get back on, I just the, the engagement hasn't really changed at all. So I don't think people even notice. That's it. That's the main games, and that's exactly exactly it. You you tell yourself these stories, right? Um, I, I think I think the other thing is the Facebook thing, where you know it's got that reputation where everyone just posts their best life. They post yeah. all the best parts, and. Um, I understand it. You get a dopamine kick in your head, right, from posting nice stuff and people right, engaging to it. It's it could be quite nice at times, you know. But it also breeds that behavior where if you're not posting stuff because you're maybe not that busy, you don't have a lot to show, and everyone's posting about, hey, I got you know assigned to a publisher. I just yeah. like, you know you feel like oh god, I'm falling behind, and it's just trying to find ways to cope and just tell yourself shut up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially when, like, say, I'm working on a novel at the minute and then you go on Twitter and see everyone's announcing some amazing amazing projects they've got coming out and you think, I just need to get off and get back to this novel that's going to take me a couple of months to finish. Like, this, It's a long process. I can't have something new to announce every single week to keep up with however many people I'm following. Yes. Uh, yeah, it, it, there is, it is a rat race. Okay, man, I don't want to keep you for, for too long. It is very, very hot. Um <laughs> um, I'm sure you want an ice lolly. We all want ice lollies. So let's uh, let's go on to the big hard question. It might not even be that big and that hard. I'm not too sure. You might have a um, a yes or no answer for it. Uh, but I mean, I've I've always held the theory that in this day and age, we live in like a post medium world where writers and storytellers can work in different mediums: games, comics, novels, whatever, and they can kind of have that strong authorial voice throughout. Um, and you you are probably evident of this, but I would say, would you? Do you think you'd be more successful, whether that's craft-wise or money-wise, whatever way, if you were to focus on a single medium? And if so, would you be able to pick which one? I, actually, yeah. Um, and this is going to sound quite bad because obviously I'm, a, I'm mostly known as a comic guy. I think writing about games would be much more lucrative. Than, writing about about games or for games or, sorry, or uh, both? Writing writing video games, actually yeah, writing yeah. the games, yeah, because um, I I get hired, you know, as a contractor when I do it, you know, I'm I charge by the hour, and um, it's not it's not mega bucks, but I think if I, you know, I've I at one point had three games on the go at once, just because you know Unbound was coming to an end, and I thought, okay, I'm gonna overlap, and you know, I'm gonna start finding new work, and it just so happened that I got two other projects, you know, um, at mm-hmm. the end of Unbound, so. I started to think like, oh, you know, if I, if I had enough hours, you know, per week, you know, cause I was only budgeted for something like 10 hours a month on these games. Right. It's not a lot. Um, yeah. Cause bear in mind, you know, I, I have a nine to five job as well, you know, kind of uh-huh. do all this on top of that. But, um, I think though, if I had enough of those jobs 
and got, you know, the word of mouth again, you know, can, you have to sort of think like a freelancer, you know, do the hustle, put yourself out there, you know, make it known that you're available to do these things. Maybe get some more people on the books. Then I think I could probably do it. Comics, I mean, most of our stuff, in fact, all of our stuff is funded by Kickstarter now. Yeah. Um, by the time, and we make a lot on Kickstarter, like, I'll, you know, make no small thing about that. But uh, You made a fair bit. What is it, like 60 grand or something like that over, over the years? All in all, it's seventy three now, <laughs> which is nuts. That's yeah. since uh, that's five years. Yeah, five years, six years, six years. Sorry, six. Um, all of it's gone, right? And and that's the thing. I never pay myself because I know I'm going to have to pay for more pages of the next thing before mm-hmm. the next Kickstarter. Because we we tend to get like a big chunk of the comic done before the Kickstarter. Um, so everything just goes into like a business account and. But if I started dipping into that money, I would just have to find some other way to build it back up again, you know? Yeah, and yeah. Comic Cons, you know, we do well at Comic Cons. I routinely sell it of Kiltopia every show now, which is great. But, you know, after we've paid the travel and the, especially the London Cons, you know, like MCM, it's a great show, but, you know, it ain't cheap <laughs> to to get down there or stay there, you know, or, you know, go to the after party and whatever. But um, yeah. it's just, I'm not going to say it's not worth it, but, I, I'm in the majority. I'm done with cons now. I think, unless I get more guest slots where people pay for me to go, but that's only happened once, and it was like just a little show. Not, not, not I'm not knocking it. It was great. You know, it was nice. But yeah, you know, it's just, it's just. There's so many outgoings involved with shows, getting yeah, yeah. done, everything else. You know, um, we're sold. You know, we we're in previews. We get sold in comic shops now as well. You know, that's that bumps up the numbers a little bit, but. Yeah, totally. It's. I think. I think the answer, sadly, maybe for a lot of people, is to do something like sell the IP rights to like multimedia, be that games, TV, movie, and that's a one in a million shot. Like we are so lucky that that happened. Um, yeah. you know, we feel we feel lucky all the time. We're like, this is happening, right? And what 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 is going on? Yeah. Um, but it's. I, I on the on the flip side, I would say to anyone looking to get into comics, don't go into them already with the the idea that you hopefully might sell the IP and get it turned into a show. Because I had that once. I think it was uh, MCM in Manchester. A kid came up to me and was like, I really want to write comics. I'm like, oh, cool. What do you want to do? My question was, what do you want to do? Like, what kind of comic do you want to make, right? Horror, action. And he said, what do I want to do? Oh, I want to sell it to Netflix and get it turned into a show. And I'm like, oh, God. (laughs) I'm like, maybe maybe take it back a step. and think about." The two-step program from idea to Netflix. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, uh, you know, in the nicest way possible. It was just a young kid. Yeah. I was just like, well, you know, think about the story and the characters. And I think if you make it really strong, you know, and people will take notice of that and you never know, someone might read it and think, Hey, I want to adapt that. Yeah. But he was, he was already walking away halfway through that thinking that's too much work. <laughs> it's too much work. <laughs> <laughs> nah. I'll go and be a TikToker. but you know i i can understand maybe why people think that way because so much stuff gets greenlit on netflix but i I know from experience you know i I know plenty of people in comics who have gotten to the stage that i'm at and they've sold the option rights and then in the end they couldn't sell it into a network Mm -hmm. and that happens because you think oh my god not another netflix show just being greenlit i guarantee that's a small percentage compared to how many must get discarded yeah, like, yeah, you know, that never make it that far. Um, so 
the odds are stacked against you. So I wouldn't go into this game thinking, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna sell my <laughs> comic to Amazon Prime and yeah. uh, you're just gonna set yourself up for disappointment. Be ambitious, but be realistic. You know, that's that's the the key, I think. Yeah, and enjoy the process as you go. Enjoy uh, the actual storytelling. You know, um, coming up with the characters and the worlds and everything. That's where the fun is, anyway. Yeah, you know, and and the thing is, right? So when the, the working specifically with the Kiltopia team, you know, Clark and Lou and and Micah, the letterer, I always say to them, like, you know life comes first like we have deadlines because we're with a publisher and we've got the tv thing right so we need to keep mm-hmm. up some sort of pace but we have some wiggle room it's not like you know if a page is going to be late the world's going to end you know and so we always we always say that like it needs to be fun it always has to be fun no stress um if something to do with life comes up as long as we give our publisher enough notice it's fine you know um it's not worth making yourself sick over you know mentally or and physically you know burn yeah. it can manifest in so many ways and and i've been there you know I, I i wouldn't wish that on anyone so um and most of the stuff i write now post keltopia is um it's more like longer longer one you know self-contained graphic novels yeah so yeah B- bpm beatdowns per minute is my sort of tribute to streets of rage and that's 140 pages and i i didn't even arc it out before i started writing it which is mental i would not recommend <laughs> that to anyone but I just kind of jazzed, jazzed on the, the script. I was like, okay, so I, I have rough ideas about what what the sequences are going to be, what the fight scenes are going to be like, and the transitions between each state, each um, scene. But I just riffed on it and just wrote, wrote. In some cases, I wrote most of the dialogue first, and then went back to do the panels. And it's the most fun I've ever had doing a comic because I wasn't, wasn't constrained by page count. I wasn't like there was no publisher deadline, and um, my yeah, artist. Oh yeah, it was great. Um, and I love fighting games. You know, they're my favorite type of game. So it was just like this is like a dream project for me. And there's no stress. It's great. You know, but yeah, yeah, man. Okay, cool. Well, um, so we're at the uh, half an hour mark, uh, just over. Um, is there any kind of parting advice or wisdom or hard truths you want to bestow upon upon the listeners? Yeah, I'll probably just follow on from that last point there about burnout. You know, it's um, yeah. not not to not to. I mean, I'm I'm not the only person that does this. I'm not trying to big big myself up, but a lot of people have messaged me over Twitter in the last like year because I've bec- I've suddenly become very vocal about mental health kind of side effects that can come of the creative mindset. You know, it's mm. certainly as a right. I, I mean, I don't want to speak for artists because I'm not one, but I'm sure I'm sure there's some crossover here. But certainly as a writer you can't you really cannot switch that creative part of your brain off i mean i'm sure you must have found this as well where you're trying to relax and unwind but hey a new scene idea has just popped into my head yeah and you cannot like you have to either write it down or do your best to just park it to one side and and that becomes a tomorrow problem right it's but it's so hard to do that um to just switch off that part of your brain yeah. and there's almost like a guilt that comes with not writing you know, taking a week off, not, not writing any script. Sometimes I just feel like we said before, you know, I should be doing more with my time. And so I'm currently on a week off just now and I wrote some copy today and I shouldn't have done and you're that. Doing this, you're doing this podcast as well. Oh, this is fine. This is fun. This is, this is great. I'm fine. This yeah. is, this is a walk in the park. Good. <laughs> um, but I've actually, I've actually booked another one for tomorrow. <laughs> uh, oh, cool. another podcast, so. um, but yeah, it's, it's just like, 
be kind to yourself, right? Recognize when things are perhaps feeling a bit too much. Don't be afraid to talk publicly about it. You're not going to come across like you're whining or complaining or ungrateful for, and that's one thing I've noticed. It's like, there's certainly a mindset among some pockets of indie comics where it's like, they kind of sleep, to sleep in your dead mentality. Like we should uh, all be the coming. hustle mentality is there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a massive hustler, right? But, but even I know like that it's, you cannot do it all the time. Right. And, um, it, it's just knowing when to admit not to, what well, I was going to say admit defeat, but I don't want to put a negative spin on it, but just, just be kind to yourself. I right? just realize when things are getting too much, when it's creeping up on you yeah. and just put the, put the, put the laptop away, put the pencil down, just regroup because play some games. Play some games yeah. 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 Because when you come back to your laptop or your easel, whatever it is you're, you're working on, the work's going to be better because you've got a clear frame of mind. You're fresh. You know, you've taken time to recharge that left side of your brain, that creative part of your brain. And um, I think the more you do it, the easier it becomes to just go, nope, I'm not working tonight. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to enjoy myself. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that just, but just talk to people. If talk to other creatives who, uh, and no one's going to think you're a complainer chances are they're going to have gone through the exact same things as you and you'll have a chat about it and you'll feel better because you know you're not alone. I think that's the, that's my parting, long-winded parting uh, <laughs> bit of wisdom. It's lovely. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> Thanks very much, Dave, for joining us there and sharing some wisdom. Go follow him on Twitter. I'll post all the links in the show notes of this episode. But for you guys, uh, think massive thoughts drink massive drinks, write in massive fonts. So, um, and just do some massive things like, I mean, I've got to clean the kitchen cupboards tomorrow. Don't really want to do that. It's probably too massive a task, that. But yeah. Also, go to lukecondor.com, sign up to the newsletter, you'll get a free book. And you'll also be able to check out this new book I've got coming out in a few weeks' time. They run fantastic. But yeah. Have a good one, guys. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.